Welcome to the Lighthouse Experiment, a Freedom Center Church podcast. Well, welcome back to the Lighthouse Experiment podcast. We're so happy to have you all back. It is Jim Parkin, myself, Asha Chandler, and we have an amazing guest today, David Taylor. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. We really appreciate it. Thank you. I'm glad I could be here. I I talked to Jim about this a while ago, and I look forward to it every time. So I'm happy I could finally do it with y'all. And then COVID happened. Oh, gosh. (laughs) (laughs) And then that kind of changed that. Because I think that right before that started, we had talked, and we were going to get you in the studio, get an episode going, and then just like that, no more studio. Yeah. Anyway, good to see you. Good to see you guys, too. I know it's been a while. I ever since I went down to Fenton, I don't see a lot of people anymore. I, we don't get a lot of EMS traffic. So you're at the new one on Owen Road. You're on the new one. Yep. Awesome. Yep. I was I was at Flint for 13 years, um, okay. almost 13 years, and then they said they were opening up the one in Fenton. And I was like, man, I'm like, that's like 12 minutes from my house versus a 40 minute drive to work. Yeah. Yeah, I want to be there, so it worked out perfect. That's awesome. Well, thank you to my son. We've been there twice already since it's opened. <laughs> so it's been great. <laughs> Good. I, I definitely love it there. It's a whole new world and everyone's appreciative and it's different. It's a different realm. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird to have most people when you're done, even if they're, you know, they're not hundred percent happy, but you know, it's, it is what it is. And they say, thank you. It was nice to meet you. And the first, the first time I heard that, I was like, wait, me? Me? Nice <laughs> Where are me? we? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of creepy. And I, man, there's been so many things that have in the short time we've been there that have happened that I'll definitely share with you guys. But it literally changed my way of thought and brought me back to why I absolutely love being a nurse. So, yeah. So you started out much like me in EMS, right? I did. I started in, gosh, it was 2000, 2000, 2001. Um, I started at Argentine Township Fire Department. I was 16 years old. Um, They let me take my medical first responder, took that class. And I'll never forget, like I couldn't watch because I wasn't old enough, but uh, I ended up going on a call with Joe Ludwig. He was my Lieutenant. And, uh, we get on scene and he's like, all right, Taylor. He's like, what's going on? And I kind of looked around and I was like, uh, he's like, what's going on? What do you see? I was like a guy laying on the floor. And he's like, no, he's like, what do you, what do you see? I was like, yeah, yeah. A guy right there laying on the floor. He's like, no, he's like, do an assessment. I said, okay. And I didn't know a lot. It was my first call ever. Yeah. And I, I look at the guy. I'm like, well, he's not really talking to us. I'm like, he's kind of cold. He's sweaty. And Joe looked at me right then. He said, well, he's like, if he's cool and clammy, give him candy. I said, what? He said, if he's cool and clammy, give him candy. He said, let's check his blood sugar. And I said, okay. We checked his sugar. And it's crazy how vividly this is stuck in my head. His sugar was 31. So 
medics got on scene, they threw in a line, amp a D50, and the guy woke up like a zombie. And that day I'm like, holy moly, this is amazing. This right. is what I want. So I ended up taking my EMT when I was 17. So when I turned 18, I got my MFR and EMT license at the same time. And uh, 21, took my paramedic. Actually, I was 23. And then when I was 27, I went to nursing school, and the rest is history. Hmm. Yep. So did yeah, you did you know you're always interested in like medical, like oh. helping? Like, how did you know to even try that out? I honestly, so my stepdad Scott, um, when I was 13, I met. I think I was 12 or 13 when I met Scott, and he asked me. He talked about like an explorer program. He was on Linden Fire. And I was like, man, if I ever get that opportunity, that'd be really cool. I'd love to try it. And uh, so I took the first responder program in Argentine. I was at 14 and nine months. I got my learner's permit and I got hired in Argentine Township <laughs> Fire Department. That's incredible. <laughs> and uh, it was awesome. It was so cool. Like, And I went on that one call. I'm like, ah, I don't really think I ever want to. I took that MFR and I was like, yeah, this really isn't for me. And then I went on that call and it opened my eyes. I'm like, this is yeah. unreal. Like, this is the coolest thing in the world. So I just kept pushing forwards and I, I love it. And that's incredible as a lieutenant to go into a situation like that, intending Absolutely. to teach, intending to yep. guide like that and not just kind of doing what they do, yeah. but just extending that to you. That's incredible. Absolutely. I, I definitely, Joe he was a good guy. Like I still talk to him every once in a great while, but that man taught me so much. Like I did as an explorer, I did my first interior attack structure fire with the SCBA, everything when I was 17, like I wasn't supposed to go in. I wasn't supposed to do that ever, but I was the only one that showed up at the fire department. And he's like, we can't wait. And I said, okay, let's go. And we got to the house and he's like, all right, Taylor. He's like, you ready to go in? I'm like, uh, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, we're going to go in. He's like, you're, you're going to scot up. I said, okay. He's like, you did the training with me recently. You're going to do it. I said, all right, we got this. And as I'm getting out of the fire truck, I realize it's my mom, one of her best friends, Mary's. So I threw on the air pack. I go in and we run the call. And it was, it was kind of crazy because when I was 17, I made the mistake of trying chewing tobacco <laughs> and, uh, I'll never, ever, ever forget. I had skull apple in my mouth and I put my mask on. We go in and in the fire, I'm like, man, what's in my mouth? I thought it was gum or something. And I swallowed it. Oh. Instantly, instantly start puking my guts out. So I'm pulling in the mask. The oh yeah. Pulling it uh. away from my face, positive pressure, blowing puke down my gear. And ugh. it was yes. awful. <laughs> That was that was about the last time I ever chewed long cut. Yeah, in my yeah. Life. So, sounds like <laughs> a good lesson learned. <laughs> it, it definitely was because that was I tried a few times after that, and I'd get like one little itty bitty grain of it on my tongue, and I'd instantly puke. I'm like, yep, nope, not. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So when I was probably I would say 13, 12, 13, yeah. 14. Yeah. Um, so my grandpa chewed like the leaf cut or like the plug tobacco. Yeah. But what he would do is he would put brandy in it okay, and let it soak up the brandy and then yeah. then chew it. So I didn't Makes know that. Yeah. So I boosted some <laughs> off of them. They were at our house for a visit and ended up like passing out in my front yard. 
It was so bad. Oh no. Oh no. I didn't know you were supposed to spit. I thought you just ate. Yeah. It's so funny. It's so funny how little things like that remind me of so many things. Like, do you remember, uh, Oh my gosh. What was his name? He was from a different country. He lived in Indiana and drove. Um, but he, I was on a call with him in Flint and it was a guy in the basement. It was a quote stabbing and we get on scene and I'm going into the house with him and I got a backboard and everything. And Flint fires like, we got to get him out. He's got a lung down. I'm like, you listen to his lungs. He's like, no, he got stabbed in the chest. He's totally got a lung down. I'm like, okay. So I'm bringing the kid up the stairs and they keep pushing me. And I'm like, quit pushing the backboard. I can't carry him by myself. Well, they push me through the glass door and I end up with a big chunk of glass in my leg and we get to Hurley and it was so funny. Cause he's like, He's like, no, no, my friend. He's like, I take care of you, Bobby. I said, no. Okay, cool. So we go back to station four and he gets out this little pack and it's leaves. He's like, chew on this leaf. I said, okay. Well, I didn't know. So he literally had his own hospital in another country. And then he right. was his, his name, Chawu, something like that? Chawu. Yes, it was Chawu. That's exactly yes. right. I was thinking YO for something, but <laughs> yeah, Chawu. He was like, Ashley, he was like our, our own little Yoda. No like way. local ER docs would look to him and he's yes. like, he's just, a, he's a medic here. And they would look to him for assistance with decision-making. Yeah. So he was a doctor overseas and he opened up a hospital in the middle of the jungle. And they, when he came to the U S with his family, they wouldn't give him his doctorate. So he started all over again and became a paramedic. And then he went to med school. So he gives me this leaf to chew on. And I don't think I've ever been so like drunk feeling in my entire life is this leaf he gave me. And he pulls the glass out of my leg and he stitches up my leg at the station. <laughs> it was the funniest thing in the world. He's like, you're all oh, yeah. body. <laughs> he was awesome. I, I miss him. He was, I definitely miss the EMS family like that. Well, most of it. <laughs> yeah. It's so much different now. It's the way it it's is. because I came up, you know, I just recently posted about this on nine 11. That was the day that I got my station assignment mm-hmm. and for grand blank fire and, mm-hmm. you know, got assigned to an Academy and all that stuff. Yeah. At the same time, the chief was on the phone seeing if our urban search and rescue team was going to go to New York to assist. So, yeah. And much like you, I did fire. Then he, Chief Harms wanted Grand Blank to have EMS. So he made a deal with yeah. me that if I would go do hazmat, which Dave, as you know, is the worst possible training yeah. you'd ever go to. <laughs> oh, it's yeah. so dry and boring. It definitely and, is. And so he said, if you yeah. do this, then I'll put you through EMT. So I went through the class <laughs> and it was just like, whatever, you know, this is be a thing, a yeah. license I have. But then on hospital yeah. clinicals, we had a, a trauma a kid came off Mount Holly and to see how, how that all worked together and how they, it was the same thing. I was just instantly hooked. You know, it's one of those things in life too. Like if you look at that story and then look at other stories of how you end up attached to something, it's right. amazing how they all are the same. Like you have this one like sentinel moment in your life and you're like, yeah, that's what I had to do. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's awesome. That's honestly I'll share with you in a little bit, but that's kind of my faith at the same time. There's so many little things like, and Jim, you love music just like I do. And 
it's, I love music because it always brings you back to that moment. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter how bad your day is. Like I'll be, I'll have a terrible day at work. Like I remember in 2017, we had two pediatric cardiac arrests within two weeks and they were both child abuse cases. And I remember leaving and that was right around the time my son, Elijah, I knew my wife was pregnant and I was going to have a son and I got in the car and I cried and I turned the ignition on and it was on family life radio. And I don't recall what song it was, but it literally instantly made me okay. I was like, you know what? It's okay. Cause that kid's not suffering anymore. And it, I mean, it was so cool that that's why I love music. It, it brings you out of any funk almost any time. <laughs> it's, it's interesting for you to know that, that this is like a calling for, for, you know, yeah. I believe for anybody in the first responder community, police, fire, yeah. EMS. And Absolutely. I typically like to include the emergency room into that, into that Absolutely. family. It's, it's, I think it's something you're called to and it's easy. It I is. know you've seen people that just kind of chose it because it seemed yeah. cool and they yeah. never oh, make yeah. it. They never flourish. They don't. No. Maybe they stick it out, but they're typically just yeah. super miserable. And they it, are. You know. And it's, it's crazy too. Like how I remember Dr. Barish, there's so many people that I would talk with when I was just an EMT or when I was a literal ambulance driver as an MFR and uh, they're like, Oh, you know, give it 10 years like me and you'll be burned out. Well, if I add up all the years with my career, I've done this almost 21 years now and I'm not burned out. I still love taking care of people and I love making sure that no matter what my opinion is, like it might seem like the dumbest thing in the world, but no matter what my opinion is to them, it's the worst day of their life. Right. And yeah. you know, no one was ever Emmeline's age, which is almost three months old now, or Eli, which is almost three and Jaden's going to be 14 in January, but no one was ever, ever, ever their age. And like, man, I, I can't wait to grow up and throw my life away. I can't, right. I can't wait to yeah. have a family and then ruin them and destroy my relationship with them. No one was ever that way. Yeah. And in a way it's made me a better nurse because I can look at that and I, I can, in a way, sometimes empathize, not just sympathize, but empathize and say, you know what, I've been there and it's okay. Right. You'll get through this. It doesn't matter what my opinion is. It's what the worst day of your life is. And I'm going to get you through it. And I, I wouldn't trade that for anything. Yeah. Right. I heard it said once, um, there's a guy, he's been kind of in the, the veteran loop of being on podcast. Dakota Meyer is his name. Yeah. I he's a, a medal of honor recipient. Yeah. But I listened to a class he was giving okay. and he was talking about post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. Yeah. And he was saying how it's, really it's not helpful to the veteran community because it gets us where we, and, and first responders as well. Sometimes you find people and it's like, we're trying to one up. Well, well, yeah. I saw this and, and, yeah. you know, I'm worse off because I had this and, and our Humvee exploded yeah. and all this other stuff. Yeah. yeah. But what he says that I found, I've really tried to implement is that, like yeah. you said, there's people, 
like nobody, like we're trained, right? And in our yeah. case, we paid money to get trained Absolutely. to see the stuff we see, you know? So Absolutely. for us, we had kind of an expectation, okay, we're going to see bad stuff and it's, you know, but yeah. like he said, no one, no girl ever trained to be raped. No one's out there training up no. to be trafficked. Right. No one had no. a plan to get in a car accident, you know? So what we really exactly. could do as first responders and medical people and veterans is use the stuff we've been through, like you said just a minute ago, to help other people walk yeah. through it. You know, it's yeah, an interesting exactly. task and to try to train up the young ones coming up now to do that. It is. But it is. It's difficult. And honestly, I mean, it's just my opinion, but the last 15 or 20 years even, children have been raised that life is fair and everything's equal and it's not. And then they get to that point and they don't know what to do and they panic. And I don't look down on them for that. Like right. I want to help them get through it. And that's all we can do. Like my, it'll kind of tie into a story, but my grandma Seebecker, she taught me, like I said, my whole life was take care of thy neighbor, take care of each other. And that the Lord would never put more on my plate than I can handle. And if people could see things that way and instead of looking at everything as negative and look at the positive outcome of how it's made them better. Right. I, I think we'd be a lot better off. We'd be a ton better off. Yeah. I think it's, it's like, hard for folks to wrap their mind around something terrible actually being used to make them better. You know, I mean, I know that there's like the Absolutely. phrase, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And, but yeah. I think that there's, then there's a line where folks have been through stuff and it's like, oh, well, it, it just makes you tougher. Like just, you know, and I think that it can be, I see folks that struggle that either feel like they yeah. should be strong enough. Like I should be able to, to, to handle all this. Yeah. And I, I almost, I see this pattern of those, um, yeah like you that are able to say, I don't know how to handle this some days. It, it is overwhelming. I have cried Absolutely. over calls and situations that I've seen. And I think that the folks that don't try to like, just keep it all in and somehow like force it to make it all yeah. somehow be okay. Um, I, you know, the folks yeah. that are able to lean in on one another and be able to talk about and talk about the suck of it, <laughs> you know, right. Um, because Absolutely, 100%. there's some like, terrible things that nobody should have to see or do, but the brave ones that are willing to go in and, and extend that compassion and do what they have an ability to do and to know that that's okay and that's enough yeah. for that day is is a, a exactly. huge deal. Yeah, it makes a big difference. Like, And in a way, it kind of segues into like my life story. So, it, so when I was 27... I, I'll never forget. And I've, I've actually told a lot of patients this story too, but I literally left the gym. I went to work and I am <laughs> in the hall and I walk into a wall and Dr. Rodoni saw me. He's like, Dave, uh, yeah, all right. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I worked out really hard this morning and he kind of did a quick assessment and he's like, uh, he's like, you need to be seen. I'm like, why? And he's like, I, I think you're having a stroke. I'm like, what? I'm like, I'm 27 years old. I'm like, I just worked out too hard today. He's like, no, I'm serious. Check in. So I did. And Dr. Sutherland saw me and I ended up getting admitted for a TIA, a mini stroke. 
Wow. And I was like, are you kidding? I'm 27 years old. Um, so when I was in getting my CAT scan, my vision came back in my left eye a lot better, but not perfect. So that happened. Well, fast forward six years from that, I was 33. And my vision in my left eye, it isn't bad, but it's darker. Um, everything's like three or four shades darker in my left eye. So I go to Michigan Eye in Fenton. At first, I'm like, well, I don't need to do this. Like, this is silly. And I had went to Lens Crafters when I was 31, and they said everything was fine. So I go see this ophthalmologist, and he looks in my left eye, my right eye. He looks in the left again, and he looks at me. He's like, hey, Dave. I'm like, yeah. And I was like, yeah, Dr. Cherkili. And I've, I've never met this man. He goes, do you have family history of multiple sclerosis? And I said, yeah, I do. Why? And he goes, oh, F. And he says the F word. And I said, excuse me? And he's like, I'm sorry. I'm like, what? He goes, well, he's like, you have optic neuritis in your left eye. He's like, I, I think you have multiple sclerosis. He's like, you need an MRI. I'm like, okay. I'm like, thank you. Like, it scared me. But so I call a doctor again and tell him. And he's like, yeah. He's like, we'll get you in. It'll be a couple months, but we'll get you into the office. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So I may or may not have went to work and put in an order under his name for a MRI brain with and without contrast. <laughs> and, uh, well, you know, like, you work there. There's perks, right? There's play. always perks. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so about a week and a half after that, I get a phone call from Dr. Pettyretti. And he's like, Dave, uh, I don't know how you had an MRI. He's like, but I'm glad you did. He's like, you have... 30 plus lesions on your brain and spinal column. He's like, I think you have multiple sclerosis. He's like, we need to do a lumbar puncture. I said, okay. So I go to the hospital and they do my LP and they admit me to the hospital um, to put me on high dose steroids and essentially ruling out MS. And two days after admission, I talked to them and they're like, well, your cerebral spinal fluid came back positive for oligoclonal bands. I said, okay. And they said, you have multiple sclerosis. I'm sorry. I said, okay. So that was the nurse that told me that. It wasn't the doctor. And I get discharge paperwork. And I was like, well, that's odd. Like, I've got this awful headache still. I go home. And the next day I come back. And I'm back in the ER. Because my headache was so bad, I could barely see. And it was because they did that lumbar puncture. And the spinal fluid was leaking. And I had to have a blood patch. <laughs> so I go back to the hospital and I get admitted again. And I see the same neurologist that never saw me. And he comes up to the room and he's like, hey, Mr. Taylor. I was like, yeah. He's like, I just, you know, I wanted to let you know, it goes over kind of everything, what had happened. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, you probably would have recognized that yesterday if you would have, you know, came in and assessed me and realized I still had a headache and maybe I wouldn't have went home. And he's like, well, you know, we're a busy hospital. And I was like, really? You're a busy hospital, but everyone's your patient. And he starts talking with me and he's like, I think I know you. I'm like, yeah, I worked down in the ER. He's like, that's right. That's right. I'm like, I promise you, if you ever do something like this again to a patient and I find out about it, I said, you will never practice medicine at Flint ever again. I'm like, I'm not doing that to threaten you. I'm just telling you that you're not going to do that to a patient. It was weird because that happened. And then I go back to work and 
I'm back to work after a couple of weeks off because of this new diagnosis. And I walk in and I'm on core four and I go into room 12 and I do an assessment and I'm talking with the nurse and the child that's there and his mom. And the kid was one year younger or two years younger than me. And he was had a trach. He was on an event. And I walk in, I'm like, so what's going on? And she's like, well, this is, she told me his name. I said, well, what's his past medical history? She said, well, he was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis three months ago. And I said, uh, excuse me. And she said he was diagnosed with MS three months ago. And I said, um, how was he before that? And she said, oh, he was talking just like you and I. I was like, I, I'm sorry. I'm like, I would love to take care of you, but I'm going to find someone to trade me cores today. And I was like, holy moly, like, like, is this honestly what's going to happen to me? Like it, in three months, am I going to be in a bed with a trach? Yeah. And uh, it scared me. Well, Flint Neurologic threw me on a bunch of different meds. They tried Copaxone and then they switched me to glutaramine or acetate, which was a generic version. And then they keep trying me on different medicines. And I, I had a day where I forgot my son Elijah's name and I forgot my daughter Jaden's name. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's not going to work. So I went to work and talked to one of the utilization people. And she's like, Dave, my mom has MS. And um, she sees Dr. Rainey, a Burashad in Owasso. So I go out and I make an appointment with him. I had a repeat MRI. And he looks at it and he's like, Dave, uh, he's like, your MRIs, he's like, you went from 30 to almost 100 lesions. He's like, you're like 96, 97 lesions at the cranial cervical junction of your brain. I said, um, okay. He's like, if we're not aggressive, you're going to be in a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. He's like, well, this is what we need to do. And he tells me about this medicine, Lintrata. And of all places, Owasa Memorial Hospital, I didn't expect to find a neurologist that was one of the top in the United States. It took about six months to get approved through my insurance, which I thought was approved. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> Well, I do my first week of infusions, which was miserable. And about two weeks after that, I get a bill in the mail for $586,000. Oh, I'm like, wow, huh? Pocket change. That's cool. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> Just throwing away my retirement there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, no big deal. So a month later, I talked with Dr. Rainey and he talked with Genzyme and they paid for it all. They paid for my first wow. year's infusion. They paid for my second year, which was amazing. It was nuts. And the reason I go into that is because I had a lady, I went to work um, about six months after that first MS patient. And I go in and it was on the same core four. And PD took the firearm out of her hand and she was ready to end her life. And I went in and I'm doing my assessment. And I asked her, I'm like, what, what stressors in life do you have that brought you to this? He goes, well, I have MS. I said, okay. And she goes, I just don't want to be a burden to my children anymore. Mm -hmm. And I said, are you having problems walking right now? She said, no. And I said, are you having any other problems? She goes, not really. She's like, but I know it's going to get worse and I don't want them to have to take care of me. And I said, well, let me tell you about Dr. Rainey. I told her about him. And I know McLaren wouldn't be happy that I told him about a doctor that wasn't in network of McLaren, but I don't care. <laughs> and, uh, when she went upstairs to the seventh floor inpatient psych, she told me thank you and she didn't want to die anymore. And I was like, wow, 
that's pretty nuts. Like that I was able to do that for her. it. It made me so happy. And then a couple weeks later, I got a 17 year old girl in a different room and she had had an LP. She was waiting on the results. They were going through a different hospital and hadn't heard anything. And she was kind of freaked out. Like she had all like the paresthesia type symptoms, like the unilateral numbness, um, the vision problems with the optic neuritis. And she was just waiting on her results. And she asked me, she's like, David, she's like, do you know anything about MS? I said, I do know a little. Why? And she goes, am I going to die? And I said, well, yeah. I said, everyone dies. I'm like, that's what we do. And she kind of smiled and laughed. She goes, no. She's like, from the MS, am I going to die? I said, you could, but it doesn't mean it's going to happen right now. And she's like, well, am I going to be in a wheelchair? And I said, well, let me tell you my story. And I told her and her mom my story. And when she got discharged from the hospital, um, cause she had to follow up with her neurologist, but I discharged her from ED and she gave me a hug and a kiss on the cheek and told me, thank you. And she wasn't afraid anymore. And that, that day I was like, you know what? I get it now. Like, this is why the Lord put this on my plate because he knew I could handle it and he knew I would use it to be powerful and help others. And, I wouldn't trade that for anything at Amen. all. Like I, it has been incredible to me. It, I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. It's awesome to be able to help people like that. And I've told a lot of people about Dr. Rainey and how comfortable he's made me. And the fact that we're, you know, three years from when he was telling me about it and I'm not in a wheelchair that speaks you know, volumes right there. <laughs> yeah. I remember that. I think then shortly after all those, those incidents happened is when we spoke last. I remember you telling me in the the ER, you felt like God had given you a superpower. Absolutely. It's always a little weird when you share about yourself, but that's the whole point of a testimony, you know, to be able to share what God has done in our life. And, um, you know, there's, there's the other verse that says in all things, God works for the good of, those that love him you know and that he's he's boundless it's not that he just wants to make us all suffer but he knows the process that it produces in us and that he He his grace is sufficient for everything that like he's able to carry us through walk us through guide us through heal us through you know grow us through anything and the most humbling thing in the world is to be able to run into, you know, be face to face with another person and, and be able to tell them it's going to be okay. Like I've, I've been there in some way. I'm not in your shoes, but I've been there and it's going to be okay. Like it's going to be okay. Exactly. A hundred percent. It's, it's amazing. Like, so like where I live, we live in the middle of nowhere. We live in Byron, but three houses down off of Lovejoy road is pastor West from the rock church. And I remember when his house burnt down, Amber and I were out of town and I got a call and they're like, I think your house is on fire. I'm like, Oh my goodness. So we had called and I talked to my stepdad. He's like, no, it's a house that like three down from me. I'm like, what the heck? Well, then I find out about pastor West's story about a week later. And he was, excuse me, he was overseas and he was on a mission trip. And when he found out his family was okay, he stayed and completed his mission trip. And then came home to take care of his house that had burnt down. Right. And I was like, holy cow, how amazing is that? It's nuts. Like 
that kind of solidified my faith. And then my neighbor, like my two neighbors next door, um, Debbie, she passed away about a year ago now. Um, she had Lou Gehrig's disease. Um, it started out great lady talking like you and I to a little bit of like a dysarthria, dysphagia, couldn't swallow. Um, and they're like, well, we don't know what's going on. Um, I get a phone call one night from my neighbor's dad, Don, which was Debbie's husband. And he's like, Hey Dave. Um, and he told me his name. He's like, I, I need you to call me. Something's not right. I'm like, Oh crap. So I call him and he's like, Debbie's not acting right. I'm like, okay. I'm like, what's going on? He's like, well, she's just kind of laying on the floor. She's not talking. And I was like, well, I'm like, get Carson's glucometer and check her sugar and call 911. Well, I talked with my, um, one of the people at my police department that I work with officer Panos and he's like, yeah, he's like, she was on the floor. She had been gone for a while. Um, when I got there, he's like, but Don was holding her and reading her scripture. And I talked with him after and they told me, thank you because I was that person to make them comfortable. And I was the neighbor to make them happy and know that everything was going to be okay, even without her. And I was like, holy cow. Well, then <laughs> like a year later, my neighbor directly across the street, his wife had cerebral palsy. And this man, incredible man too, he ordered bees online. And he told me one day, he's like, if you get a box in your mailbox, it's buzzing. He's like, don't open it. It's bees. I'm like, okay, uh, <laughs> why? <laughs> and he bought bees on the internet that he would sting his wife with. And it would help her with her cerebral palsy. No way. Yeah. Which was unbelievable to me. And he would always confide in me. And she passed away um, recently. Um, she passed away. And sweetest lady in the world. And he confided in me enough to ask me when he made her a DNR, if I would talk with the hospice people and sign her DNR paperwork and he didn't know hundred percent that, you know, I was a paramedic ER nurse. He knew that I was in healthcare, but that was about it. And I was able to be that person for them too. Wow. And I was like, Holy cow. Like I live where I need to be to make my right. neighbors comfortable. Like it's so cool. Like, I love it. I absolutely love what the Lord has put on my plate. Cause well, and the fact that your grandma spoke that into you, like take care absolutely. of thy neighbor, you know, like that's absolutely. literally what she spoke over to you, like she part did. of your destiny and part of your calling. That's, that's absolutely. incredible. She was, she was the most wonderful woman and she knew that I needed to learn that. And I guarantee the Lord told her that teach him. And that's what she did. It was perfect. You know, throughout, like with this, this podcast and our, our own ministry yeah. here, that's been the yeah. whole idea for me is to get other people that people know in our community as to have your story, you know, so, so it's out there. Absolutely. So people, no, I, I love your guys' podcast. It's so much fun to listen to and I really enjoy it. It's nice to be able to put my phone down in my truck and listen to something happy and that's cool. it's awesome just to I hear other people's that. stories. Yeah. Heck yeah. Like, Bye. We're trying. I think I said it a couple of weeks ago where we said it and we said where it's, it isn't easy, but it's simple. Yeah. You know, it's, I mean, you know, yeah. from years in Flint, it's not always super easy. Yeah. <laughs> no, but loving people no, is pretty straightforward. You know, just right. having compassion is, 
it's hard when you're up to your own eyeballs and stress and stuff that you're dealing with, you know, but I, I've found that being able to get outside yourself and help others actually really helps you be able to process all that stuff yourself, you know, and kind of puts it in perspective, you know, so well, keep doing a great job and keep taking care of your family well and you know, all that stuff. Keep setting that example and it's, it's a big deal. So obviously, so absolutely cool. thank you guys for this tonight i i definitely love to share my story and i've definitely shared my story a few times with patients and knowing that it you know can help other people just to share my story i would do that every day of the week if i could <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome sure. well thanks again for coming on and, and giving us your time appreciate it anytime um, thanks again to our listeners, Freedom Center Church, thank you for your love and support. It's crazy to say episode 101. <laughs> but that is a we thank our guest, Dave Taylor. Thank you, sir, for coming in and, and sharing your You're story. Welcome. This will benefit just even if it's just one person, then it's worth it's worth the time. Absolutely. 100%. Um, just keep checking us out on the social media. And we do have a community night coming up, I think. We have some kind of night coming up. We always have a community <laughs> night coming up. Always. Yep. <laughs> you just got to look ahead. It's good. Just look ahead. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Hang in there, guys. <laughs>